Wow, how about that? Well, hey, everybody, welcome to The Crossing today. So good to see you here on this opening weekend of football. Now, now here's what's so great about the opening week of football is every football fan feels like this is their year. There's so much hope in the air, so much hope in the room, and I hate to disappoint you, but it will be the Chiefs who are in the Super Bowl this year. So I don't know what team you root for, but I'm sorry. It's just not your year. Not your year. Well, hey, let me go ahead and welcome all of those who are joining us. The Crossing West Henderson, they are moving to a brand new location in two weeks. Moving to Sloan Canyon School by the M Casino. So if you have friends over in the Inspirata, West Henderson area, invite them there. The Crossing St. George, our microsites, all those who are watching online. Can we just give them a big hand? Welcome them. Well, today we are kicking off 21 days of prayer, that every fall around here at the crossing, we take 21 days during the fall on focused, intentional prayer, prayer for our church, prayer for our community, prayer for each other. We just believe that prayer changes lives, and there is a connection between the peace in your life and prayer. And so over the next 21 days, we will have a 60-second devotional for the day with a prayer focus for the day. You can find that on all of our social media channels, on our website, and on our website. We'll also have ESL available there for anybody who is hearing impaired, so you can be a part of those devotionals. And so you can just go in there and engage. And so here's what I'd like to ask you to do, is would you go on this journey with us? I just want to see what would happen is we come together as an entire church and we are praying and asking God to do a work in us. And so those will hit every single morning at 7 a.m. Today's is already there, and so you can go find it later today. Well, we're kicking off this series called um, Killing What is Killing You. And over the next five weeks, we're going to get real honest about our emotions. See, for most of us, we have the tendency to avoid emotions at all costs. When someone asks, how you doing? Our standard answer is, fine, good, great. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, how much pressure you feel at work. It doesn't matter how much conflict you have at home. It doesn't matter how overwhelmed you feel as a parent. You're like, I'm fine. When you come to church, though, you try to sound super spiritual. Somebody says, how you doing? Blessed. <laughs> so blessed. If I were any more blessed, there'd be two of me. <laughs> so over these next five weeks, we're going to get real honest about our emotions. And maybe you don't know where that anger is coming from in your life, but you know that anger is killing the joy that's in you. You don't know where that critical spirit comes from, but it's that critical spirit that is killing your relationships. The title for this series, it comes from a theologian by the name of John Owen. John Owen lived in the 1600s, and he said that we need to be killing sin or it will be killing you. We need to be killing sin or it will be killing you. Here's the way Jesus said it. Jesus says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Did you know that Satan has an agenda for your life? 
Satan has a purpose for your life. And his purpose for your life is to steal, kill, and destroy. It is to steal your joy and contentment. It is to kill your relationships, your relationships with people, with God. It is to destroy you and destroy God's work in you. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That Jesus came to bring freedom into your life. Jesus came to unshackle you from these emotions that are killing you, from these things that are just holding you back. And so today, as we kick off this series, today we're going to talk about this one right here, envy. We're going to talk about envy. Now, if you have kids, you know what it's like because they beg, barter, and negotiate to get whatever is the latest thing out there. You know, to get the name brand shoes, the jeans, the concert tickets, the toys, the phones, you name it. Now, when my kids were little, Razor scooters were all the rage. Do you remember the Razor scooter? They wanted one so bad, it was on the top of their Christmas list. They were just convinced that all of their friends had Razor scooters, and they were the only ones that didn't have a Razor scooter. The only problem is we couldn't afford a razor. So we went to Sam's Club and we bought the knockoff brand. It was called the Mojo. <laughs> and on Christmas morning, we could hear them get up out of their beds. We could hear them go downstairs. They were going to take a look under the tree to see what presents were there. And then we hear one of them go, there's a scooter. And then a few minutes later, they go, what's a Mojo. It's not just our kids, though, is it? Do you ever find yourself becoming envious of what someone else has? See, this is something that resides in every single one of us. All of us face this emotion from time to time, and if you don't confront it, it has the potential to destroy you. It has the potential to kill you. Here's what Craig Rochelle says about envy. He says the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. Isn't this so true? That you find yourself so content and so happy until you begin to compare it with what someone else has. Well, today, I want to show you what the two wisest people to ever walk the face of the earth say about envy. Solomon and Jesus. Jesus is going to ask a question that has the potential to completely change the way that you view envy and jealousy. But we're going to start off with Solomon out of Proverbs chapter 14. Here's what he says. He says, envy rots the bones. Envy rots the bones. In other words, when we are envious, when we are focused on someone else out there, what they've done, what they've accomplished, what they've accumulated, Solomon says this isn't a minor thing. At the end of the day, this envy rots the bones. Here's why. Because we're always competing with other people. We are working so hard to get ahead, to do better, to perform better. We're competing with people that don't even know there's a competition. And it does one of two things. 
It either makes us arrogant because we're more successful, we do better, so we become arrogant, or secondly, it makes us depressed, and we begin to despise ourselves because we fall short and we can never keep up. There is no upside to envy. It rots the bones. It ruins relationships. We started the crossing 19 years ago. And we are a church plant that came out of Canyon Ridge Christian Church. Now, I was on staff for, at Canyon Ridge for six years before we started the crossing. So when we started the crossing, I compared everything to Canyon. On our opening day, I looked at our attendance, and I compared it to Canyon's attendance on their opening day. When we were a year old, I compared the size of Canyon to where they were at a year old. When we had a good Easter, I compared. And I was either arrogant because we were bigger at that particular Sunday, but mostly I was depressed because we couldn't keep up. And they didn't even know there was a competition. (laughs) See, for all of us, this is something that we face. And I just want to be real transparent with you for a minute. This may be the ugliest thing about me. And if you can't relate to this, please don't judge me too harshly. The thing that I don't like about myself the most is that every once in a while, someone will fail. Some public figure will make a mistake. And my initial reaction is yes. And I hate that about myself. And maybe that's happened to you. And then you immediately catch yourself and you think, that's horrible. But your initial emotion is celebration. Because envy rots the bones. And Jesus knew that. The disciples were always competing with each other. They were always arguing over who is the greatest, who is the most important, who should sit at the most important seats. And I could be completely wrong. But I think there was this sibling-like rivalry between Peter and John. Peter was kind of the loud mouth who spoke before he thought. John was more of the quiet spirit, the quiet in nature, and he loved being Jesus' closest friend. And after the resurrection, there's this conversation between Jesus and Peter where Jesus confronts Peter's envy and comparison, and it gives us a way forward for our life. And so we're going to pick up the story, John chapter 20. This is Easter morning. This is the morning that Jesus rose from the dead. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon and Peter, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, this is the gospel of John. John is writing this gospel, and this is how he describes himself, as the one whom Jesus loved. Instead of saying, Peter and me, instead of saying, Peter and John, he just refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. It goes on, it says, so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. 
John is, is writing this whole story, and he's like, there is a foot race going on. And then it goes on to say this. It says, then Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. John's like, I beat Peter at such a margin that by the time that he showed up, I wasn't even breathing hard anymore. This is the story of the resurrection right here. And John's like, the resurrection changed everything. But let's get this one thing clear. I beat Peter at a foot race. (laughs) Now fast forward a few weeks, and the disciples are out fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And they see Jesus at the shore. It says this, it says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, we know who that is, said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Now, I may be reading more into this than it is really there, but it seems like what John is saying, well, I was the one to recognize Jesus first, but Peter had to get dressed because he was fishing in his underwear, and then he jumps in the water. It is so undignified. I mean, I just can't believe he did that. And let me just call a timeout for a second. Let me just pause this part of the story and address something. And we'll come back to this idea of envy. But let me just ask this question. Why did Peter jump in the water? It is because Peter wanted to get to Jesus as fast as he could because he had some unfinished business with Jesus. Maybe you remember that the last words that Jesus heard was Peter denying Jesus three times. And it is eating Peter up on the inside. And now he sees Jesus, and he immediately jumps in the water. Maybe he wants to get to Jesus before anybody else does so he can have this private conversation with Jesus. But he needs to get back there because he has this unfinished business. He needs to have a conversation with Jesus. The other disciples arrive on the shore, and Jesus has been cooking breakfast for them. And they start eating breakfast with Jesus. And then Jesus taps Peter on the shoulder and says, hey, Pete, let's go for a walk. And I love this moment because it gives us so much hope. Because here's a guy who's messed up as about as bad as you can mess up, and Jesus is the one to initiate reconciliation and restoration. They're walking along this beach, and Jesus asked Peter the same question three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter answers, yes, Lord. And he asks him a second time, do you love me? Didn't you hear me the first time? Yes, I love you. And then a third time, Peter, do you love me? And at this point, Peter is hurt. It has hurt his feelings. Maybe there's tears beginning to well up in his eyes. It's like, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then it hits him. Three questions for three denials. Peter, I know you don't think much of yourself right now, but I think a whole lot of you. And I want you to feed my sheep. At this moment, Jesus recommissions Peter. He's saying, you can come back from this, Peter. 
You can come back from this failure. I still have a plan for you. I still have a purpose for your life. You don't have to stay in this pit of shame any longer. It's an absolutely amazing moment. And it should speak to the heart of every single person here because we've all had our denial moments. We've all had moments like this where we have messed up so bad in our life and we begin to wonder, does God still love me? And if he loves me, does he like me? Is he mad at me? Can I ever come back from this? Now pay attention to this conversation because it will tell you everything about the way that Jesus feels about you. And then Jesus tells Peter the kind of death that he's going to face, that Peter's going to face. And Jesus says to Peter, he says, now you dress yourself and you go where you want, but the day is going to come where they will dress you and they will take you where you do not want to go. And it's at this moment that Peter's envy begins to flare up. And it says this, it says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? We get it, John. We know that you're the one that Jesus loved. We know that you are the most important seed at the Last Supper. We get it. But I want you to get this image in your mind. I want you just to get this image that these disciples are sitting around a campfire early in the morning at breakfast time. And then Jesus asked Peter to go for a walk. And perhaps John is a little jealous. I wonder what they're talking about. Hey, guys, where are you going? And he starts following behind them. Then it says, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? He's referring to the kind of death that he's going to face. Jesus has just told Peter the kind of death that he is going to face. It's like, what about him? Peter turned around and he sees that John is following. What about him? Is he going to die like that? Is he going to live longer than I'm going to live? Is this a punishment because I messed up so bad? Are there going to be any more foot races? Because I'm tired of hearing how fast that John is. And notice Jesus' response to him because it is so powerful. And these words are for you and for me. Jesus answered. He says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. See, what Jesus says here has so much power to free you from envy. It is the power to free us from the comparisons that we make with one another. What is that to you? See, all of us, we have that person that we compare our lives to. That, that person that we begin to look at them. And we begin to ask two questions. Why them? And what about me? Why them? Why do they have all these opportunities? What about me? This comes from our sense of fairness because we think that everything should be fair. Maybe you grew up with parents who were completely fair in the way they dealt with you and your siblings. And while that makes sense on the surface, people don't have the same needs or the same experiences. My kids have different needs at different seasons in their life, and it's not about fair. 
We've been accused many times, well, it's not fair. No, it's not. But this is what they need right now. And so we're going to meet them at their place of need. It's not about fair. But I want you to look at this question that Peter asked again. Lord, what about him? Lord, what about him? This is our sense of fairness. Lord, what about him? So how would you fill this in? Lord, why do they always get a new car? Lord, why don't I get the same opportunities as them? Lord, why is my life so much harder than theirs? Lord, why haven't you brought the right person into my life yet? Lord, why do I always have to struggle with money? See, I don't know what this is for you, but I know you have something. I know that there is something for you. And Jesus just says this. It's just this, what is that to you? You must follow me. What is that to you? You must follow me. And at first blush, this sounds so insensitive, but it's not. Jesus says, follow me. What is that to you? I have a plan for your life. I have a purpose for your life. I have good gifts for you. I know what you need. It is different than the needs of the person that is sitting next to you. And if you follow me, I will take you on the adventure of your life. You worry about following me, and I'll worry about all the details. What is that to you? See, here's the bottom line for us. The bottom line is, is you will never experience life to the full as long as you're trying to experience someone else's life. See, Jesus has this life for you. He says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full, and you will miss it as long as you're trying to experience someone else's life. That this is something that we have to confront in our own lives. That I am not going to let envy kill the work that God is doing in me. The words of Solomon that we looked up, we looked at up front were just the last half of what he said. Here's this whole sentence right here. He says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bone. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. You cannot compete and compare your way to peace. You can't. And when you follow God's plan for your life, when you begin to, to follow Jesus, that is what brings peace. That's what brings contentment. That's what brings life. That a heart at peace gives life to the body. A few years ago, I was on my summer break, and Lee was preaching that day. And I was meeting a buddy after church for lunch. He was coming from church. I was coming from home. And so we sat down at lunch, and I asked him, I go, how was church today? And he goes, it was amazing. He said, that was the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and then he stopped realizing who he was talking to. And he goes, does that bother you? And I said, not anymore, because I'm firing Lee today. I'm getting rid of him. 
No, I actually said, I go, why would that bother me? I hired him. When he does well, it makes me look like a genius. Do you know how much peace it brings me to know that I can go on vacation and people will have the best experience they've had in their life? It brings me so much freedom and so much peace. And see, we miss that if we're always wanting what we don't have. Let me just give you a couple applications. Here's the first one. Live in gratitude for what God has given you. And I worded this very carefully. Live in gratitude. Not just with gratitude. I want you to live in that. You live in that mindset. And one of the ways that you do that is you write it down. You just write down what you're grateful for. You stop and acknowledge God's gifts to you. Sometimes when I come home, I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude for the home that God has provided me. Just overwhelmed. I had that moment last night as I was driving by this campus at night, and this campus was all lit up, and I was just overwhelmed with gratitude that God allows me to be a part of something like this. Because Here's me. I have a tendency to remember all of the negative things and forget the good things. So you write them down. You live in gratitude for what God has given you. And the second one is you celebrate what God has given someone else. You celebrate what God has given someone else. Celebration is the antidote for comparison. And when you are trying to compete with someone else, it's hard to celebrate their accomplishments. It's hard to celebrate what God is doing in them. That you just begin to learn to celebrate the good things in someone else's lives, the good gifts that have come their way. And that brings peace in your life. So I want us to pray together. And I just want to lead you in a time of prayer. I'm just going to ask that you would just bow your heads. And I want you to ask yourself this question. What do I need to leave behind to follow Jesus? Because Jesus is calling you to follow him. What do I need to leave behind to follow Jesus? Where is God nudging me to be grateful? Who do I need to celebrate? today. And maybe it's just time for you just to begin to do a little bit of work in your own heart, your own soul. And when you invite Jesus into those questions, he walks with you and that is where you find peace and freedom. He's calling you to follow him. All the other things, what's that to you? I have a plan for your life. God, we thank you for being a God who has good gifts for us. You have a plan for us and a purpose for our lives. God, help us to not try to live someone else's life. To ask the question, why them? What about me? God, help us to live with gratitude, to live in gratitude for what you have done for us. 
to look at the people around us and to celebrate what you're doing in them. And God, I wonder right now if there is some people in here who have never surrendered their life to Jesus and Jesus is calling them to follow him for the first time. To follow me because my way is better. I've got a path that will change your life. So God, today, we surrender this to you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.